This is 680-CJOB. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Main Ingredient. Busy show we got today as I welcome two of Winnipeg's top chefs, Ed Lam from Yujiro Japanese Restaurant and Tim Palmer from VG at the Fairmont Hotel to talk about their dinner coming up June 9th, and Bill Dillon from Surly Brewing, which is a craft brewery based out of Minneapolis. But first up is Kate Flett and Aaron Albus to talk about the 15th Annual Flatlanders Beer Festival, which is coming up June 9th and 10th at the MTS Center, soon to be known as Bell MTS Place. So we are talking beer. We are talking Welcome beer. back, you guys, to the main ingredient. I feel like now it's come full circle because you guys were one of my first guests. I we're started like, like I started this just over a year ago. Awesome. So I feel like we're like friends yeah, now. Come home. Yeah. Huh? Right, kids. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Only we're talking about beer. Yes. Okay, getting your kids beer. Mm-hmm. Um, how are we doing? Life's good. Great. You just came off vacation. I did. Yeah. Now it's all Flatlanders all the time. That's a tough gig to come back to. You know what? Whew. Beer fest is coming up. So you're coming off vacation and you're going to a beer festival, and they'll build up to it. I love my job. (laughs) Aaron Albus, product ambassador for Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries. Correct. Hello. Kate Flett, game day, and it's right in front of me, game day (laughs) and events manager for True North Youth Foundation. That is correct. (laughs) Let's talk about the festival itself, and let's remind everybody what the festival is about, first of all. Let's... I get so giddy about the beer that I forget there's actually a purpose to the festival. Yeah, there's a cause behind it. So crazy enough, we're in our 15th year. Mm-hmm. Um, so True North Youth Foundation, it, it is a fundraiser for the True North Youth Foundation. Um, so this year, we've, uh, with the help of um, Manitoba Liquor Marts, we've um, grown the festival even more. Uh, we've got a lot of new things coming up, more beer than ever before. Um, but yeah, at the heart of it, it is um, a fundraiser for the True North Youth Foundation. The funds go towards our three programs that we run, uh, targeting disadvantaged Manitoba youth. So we have Project 11, which is our mental health curriculum. We have Winnipeg Jets Hockey Academy, which gives kids an opportunity to uh, connect with their community through hockey. And then we have a camp that we run year-round, Camp Manitou. God, you guys don't do anything in the community. Like, can you kick it up a notch, please? I know. We really need to get what our uh, things going. Let's talk about the, the craft beer industry in Manitoba. So last year, when we talked, there was maybe three or four. Mm-hmm. This year, there's 10 or 11 that are going to be in this festival. So maybe we can talk about why that is, why it's grown so much. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, craft beer industry, the actual beers themselves. Yeah, off the top of my head, I think there's 11 uh, local breweries that are participating this year in Flatlanders, which is a little bit of growth from last year. Yep. And you know what? Probably next year it'll be bigger and better again, both in terms of um, the craft beer representation at the show and also the amount of foot traffic going through the festival. Um, I think Kate can back me up. We expect this year to grow. And part of why that is, is because the interest in in local and craft beer, which usually go hand in hand, is still continuing to grow in our province. So I think it's a little bit of genuine interest in beer. And I think it's a little bit of, um, you know, kind of the collaboration between the locals and each other being supportive and enabling through the Manitoba Brewers Association as well. And it's just a, a great time to open a brewery in Manitoba. And there's lots of support behind it, both in terms of industry and public alike. You mean the collaboration between brewers themselves? It's they're, they're, They get along really well? Yeah, I can't speak too much to the Manitoba Brewers Association, but it does exist. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the uh, all the breweries who are members kind of collaborate on different ways that they can um, you know, grow the industry in Manitoba and support each other while doing it. Right. I just had a conversation with one of the guys from the Nonsuch, mm-hmm. and they're brewing their beer at um, Barnhammer. 
Yeah. Right. There's a lot of collaborations going on like that. And the guys from One Great City are brewing their beer at uh, Torque Brewing. Right? Yeah. And so, One Great City is very, very, very close to opening as yeah, well. Right. Be nearby, a right nearby here. Yep. Um, I asked you a question before Kate got here, <laughs> which is, of course, I looked at the list of vendors, right? Of course, I'm looking at the beers I've tasted and the ones that I haven't and the ones I want to because I'm greedy like that. Um, and I brought up the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Center. They have two beers in this. What is that? <clears throat> okay, so the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Center, also called the CMBTC, is actually a small microbrewery and malt house that exists at the corner of Portage and Maine in Winnipeg. Downtown He's, he's Winnipeg. geeking right out. He's about to like break it down, right? <laughs> I will. So there's an important reason why <laughs> this microbrewery exists. And honestly, it should be more well known because they're involved in a lot of different things in the brewing industry in Canada. Um, everything from seed development to the CMBTC and the reason uh, the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Center and why they have beer at the show is they brew there. So they malt barley and they brew beer as a way of ensuring quality control and testing the specs of malt barley produced all across Canada for sale all across the world. So they're bringing a couple beers, um, some great guys and gals from the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Center. They also offer uh, malting courses, beer courses. Uh, They're full of knowledge and passion, and they ensure that Canadian barley is represented in the global brewing stage, as well as local, but they sell barley all or they prep barley to be sold all over the world. Okay, so I'm sure all the craft beer guys have heard of this place. I have not heard of this. Why have I not heard of this? You know what? I'm not really sure. It's because they don't offer beers commercially. And unless you're, you know, um, taking some beer training or you happen to know uh, one of the uh, very small crew that works there and and maybe get to sample some of the beer they make, they dump all the beer they make, right? What? Their goal, I know, blasphemous. I know. That's craziness. (laughs) Their goal is to small batch malt and small batch brew barley to guarantee quality for larger shipments that head to breweries all over the world. So when they brew beer, they typically brew... Uh, one style of beer, and then it gets it either meat spec or doesn't, and it gets dumped. Um, so what's really don't, interesting? Don't, hang on, don't, don't say that again. Don't say dumped. <laughs> but what, don't say beer and dumped. But what that creates for people attending the Flatliners Beer Festival is a unique opportunity to try beer from a non-commercial brewery, pretty much one of a kind in Canada, that they may never get to try beer from again. I know that's going to be crazy. It's pretty cool. It is. Mm-hmm. So they have two beers going in there. I think two beers. I'm going to attack those guys because if you're not going to get it again, I want to taste it, right? And if you are a beer nerd and you're listening or if you don't know a lot about beer but you want to learn, along with, you know, the uh, knowledgeable principles behind every booth, these are scientists by day and beer nerds by night. So if you have any questions for them, big or small, you can nerd out with the folks at the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Center booth. I feel like we're going to walk up and there's going to be guys with glasses all nerded out with like Superman t-shirts underneath. Is that correct? I can't speak for what they'll be wearing, <laughs> but visit them. Shout out to my, my friends, Aaron and, and Andrew. They'll be at the booth. Nice. Nice. We had so much to talk about and so little time. You can hear the rest of that interview with Kate Flett from True North Youth Foundation and Aaron Albus from Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries on the Main Ingredient Podcast on the CGOB website or at kevinbergen.com. More beer talk with Bill Dillon from Surly Brewing up next. Kevin Bergen here on The Main Ingredient. Right now I'm talking to Bill Dillon from Surly Brewing. And if you haven't heard of them, you will soon, believe me. You'll hear the passion in Bill's voice as he talks about how this company began. I'll, I'll start off by asking you if you can talk about the history of Surly Brewing and, and where it originated. 
So this is a this is a really great story. So uh, Omar's parents are first generation immigrants. His mom is from Germany. His dad is from Pakistan. They actually met in Chicago, moved to the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Minnesota. And uh, his dad uh, ran or started uh, an abrasives factory, so grinding discs, sandpaper, things of that nature. So Omar grew up in a very entrepreneurial family, growing up in this family business, born here in the Twin Cities. And uh, as he's starting to take over his family business, he recognizes two things. Um, First, that he's at the helm of a sinking ship and not that his parents' company, his family company, wasn't being run properly. It was mainly that this was just a different time, you know, nearly 11 years ago, actually even before that. uh, We're looking at 2004. um, You know, there's this thing called the World Wide Web and you can buy things directly from China. Um, Secondarily, Omar uh, was very much into craft beers, enjoyed craft beers, and he recognized that, hey, for all intents and purposes, there's only one craft brewery in the state of Minnesota and all of the other craft beers coming into the state are from somewhere else. So he recognized that, Hey, there's a need, uh, there's an opportunity for another craft brewer, uh, in the state of Minnesota. And so, um, he went out and did a, a bunch of, um, research. He went to craft brewers conference. He went to the Great American beer festival. Um, he hung around a lot of breweries and he basically came away with two things. One, um, if you want to start a brewery, you obviously have to have a brew house. And then two, you got to have a brewmaster. So don't try to be the brewmaster and then run the company. And so um, he ran into a guy by the name of Todd Howe, who is our founding brewer, and uh, and convinced him um, to share the same vision that, hey, there's a need, there's an opportunity for another craft brewer here in the state of Minnesota. And um, so Omar went to his father, told his father what he wanted to do, and his dad literally stuck out his hand and Congratulate him and said, "Hey, congratulations! You're a you're an entrepreneur. You can have five thousand square feet of the uh, of our factory over here." And so, he and Todd basically cobbled together uh, this brew house system, started brewing beer, and first started selling beer in 2006. Um, 2007, uh, we were named as one of the hottest breweries in the United States. 2007, our beer Darkness was also rated as the number one beer in the world. Uh, Darkness Day is still one of those events that we hold. Uh, each year at the original brewery in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Uh, last year, I think we had nearly 3,500 people that showed up on a Friday, camped out in this industrial park area on other people's property uh, who also operate businesses within this industrial park. And uh, they wake up the next morning uh, for an opportunity to buy six bottles of, of darkness. It's a, it's a pretty amazing event to see. And then we have music and uh, food and all kinds of other things uh, going on. Let's fast forward a little bit in the story up to 2008. And uh, the Abrasives factory is now gone. Omar has it consumed the entire uh, production fil- facility of what once was uh, Sparky's Abrasive, which is now Surly Brewing Company. And Omar is literally selling as much beer as he can possibly make. <laughs> um, you know, it's a pretty amazing story that, uh, you know, you've got people on a waiting list. For some reason, Omar decides to go to Chicago. I don't know why, because he can't even supply the entire state of Minnesota. So he pulls out of Chicago and then he realizes he's like, Hey, if I want to get the best beer into as many hands as possible, it's not going to happen at this brewery. So I need to build a a bigger uh, brewery where I can supply demand, but he didn't want to just build a functional building where he could brew beer. He wanted to build this destination brewery where people could come, you know, see the process of what was going on, uh, share beer with your friends, have some food. And, you know, I would kind of equate it to this vision of this European beer garden, beer hall style uh, atmosphere, but there was only one problem. In the state of Minnesota at the time, 
that's against the law. Yeah. You actually could not produce beer and sell, you know, a pint of beer uh, on the same premise. And so when I think about what I'm getting ready to tell you next, it's also like a really uh, amazing story um, about the Surly Brewing Company. And so what Omar decided was, is like, well, hey, why don't we just get the law changed? And so, you know, I think about here, Omar really didn't have any beer experience or background, yet he opened up one of the hottest breweries in the United States. Now he wants to build a new brewery, and he can't do it because of the laws in the state of Minnesota. So he takes a grassroots marketing approach and literally gets the entire population of Minnesota to get behind him, call all their state legislators, and, and get the bill passed that's now called the Surly Bill. And while the reason I'll pause here for a moment is because it makes me think that Sometimes when you know too much, it prevents you from doing the impossible. 100%. And Omar knew nothing about the beer industry, and he knew nothing about changing laws. And I think if you would have realized what an uphill battle it was, if you would have known too much about what it takes to change the law, he might have given up. But he knew nothing, and so he forged ahead. And, and here we are today. So uh, this December will be three years. Uh, we've opened up the new brewery uh, here in the Twin Cities. We can actually say that we are a Twin Cities company because part of our Brewery is actually in Minneapolis, and the other part is actually uh, in St. Paul. Uh, we found out last year that we are actually the second largest destination in the state of Minnesota behind Mall of America. <laughs> we are the single largest grossing restaurant uh, in the state, and uh, we have a fine dining restaurant upstairs called the Brewer's Table. Last year, it was named by Food & Wine Magazine as one of the hottest top 10 restaurants in the United States. Uh, we're really proud of that. Uh, one, because we think we're making really great food uh, up there in our fine dining restaurant. And two, we don't sell wine or spirits. We're, we're not allowed to by law, nor will we ever. Um, upstairs, our brewer's table is like going to a, a beer dinner every night. And so we actually uh, have a prefix course menu. And depending on what you choose, a different one of our beers comes out. Um, and let me give you an example. There was at one point, we're changing the menu all the time, a Hispanic dish on the menu. And if you chose that, a portion of our fiery hell beer came out with that Hispanic dish. There was no heat in the dish itself. The heat actually came from the beer. And so we don't craft our dishes up in that restaurant around beers. Rather, we craft dishes around the beers, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So we're not creating some menu item and saying, hey, which one of these beers goes well with this, this food item? And we're really thinking about what can we create that's going to pair well with one of our beers? And I think it's that approach that we're taking to not only saying that we think beer pairs better with food than wine, because a lot of craft breweries out there are saying that, but we're actually not only talking that talk, we're walking that walk uh, with the brewer's table. And then downstairs, we've got uh, what we call the beer hall. Um, and then our beer garden that was featured on diners, drive-ins and dives. It was actually the premiere episode for Andrew Zimmer's new show called The Bucket List, which premiered on the Travel Channel. And we've won three awards for uh, the building itself in terms of the architecture. Bill Dillon from Surly Brewing is another guest I talked to at length. So much so, you can listen to the juicy parts of that interview, such as where and when the Surly Pre-Festival launch party is taking place, and what beer Surly will have at Flatlanders on the Main Ingredient podcast on the CJOB website or at kevinbergen.com. Ed Lamb from Yujiro Japanese Restaurant and Tim Palmer from VG Restaurant at the Fairmont Hotel. They're up next. The Peg City Chefs Collective. What is that, you ask? Think of Batman and Robin, but instead of fighting crime, they are two of Winnipeg's top chefs getting together to create plenty of superfood with extraordinary culinary skills. So how did you two meet? 
<sighs> well, may I? Please? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a marriage here. How you know, may I? You know. <laughs> um, I think we met, the first time we actually really met is gold medal plate. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yes. We're enemy then. Yeah. <laughs> now. But we go, both didn't win. So, and then, uh, you know, we've seen each other a few times mm -hmm. because we all joined different events, SOS, Taste of Nation, um, Shane Function. Yeah. So we see each other quite a few more time after that. Right. And then it's just uh, this year, right, at the uh, Red River Collegiate Shane uh, dinner, uh, we happened to sit sit beside each other and we talking about you know what we doing uh what should the culinary right now been doing so we come up with this idea and i let him to tell you the idea the whole thing <laughs> no pressure well I, I, you know ed was talking about how we met i think it's, it's it's very important to say that uh chef is he's in his his energy is infectious i mean mm -hmm. i don't know uh, he lights up a room. People are drawn to him, and and you can't help but love to listen to to his passion and uh, you know his dedication to the craft is really something that's it's what separates him from a lot of uh, a lot of people in the industry. Really okay, we talk is. about the dinner. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I would agree. Remember the first time I met you? I think I was going to come in. I was going to drop in for like five minutes and find out what this guy's about. I think I stayed for like an hour and a half. <laughs> Oh. We sat and we talked about like literally everything. everything yeah. it's, you know, yes. I, I you know Slick Rick used to be the storyteller, but I think it's uh, uh, Ed Lamb's actually the I, true storyteller. Oh no, correct. Uh, love it! But uh, cut that part, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's let's talk about. We'll get yeah. closer to the to, to the actual event. Um, I'm curious. You you know you've you've chefed all over the world. You especially you've been to Toronto, Bermuda, a lot of those places. Um, it's probably a lot easier to get local things there, um, to get local ingredients in a lot of those places. How, how do those places compare to now that you're back in Winnipeg getting stuff here? Uh, well, Toronto, Toronto's easy. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a million producers. There's people that want to make sure they get it to you. I can get things from around the world within a day, mm -hmm. basically into Toronto. Um, you know, Bermuda was a little bit more difficult. It's uh, 21 square miles, uh, an island in the middle of the Atlantic. So everything came in on a boat. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it was grown on the island. So right. you forge good relationships with some of the uh, farmers. Uh, here in Manitoba, it's a little bit, uh, um, a little bit, you know, a little bit slower to get up to the Toronto uh, GTA, sort of Ontario, uh, you know, availability of all the different products. But there's amazing producers here in this in, in the province, and you know you just have to really kind of source them out, and it's you know really mostly important is about building those relationships with those producers that um, they don't just do it because it's a hobby; uh, they're doing it because they absolutely love what they're doing. Right. Um, you know, we, we we source product from uh, some amazing local farmers, Harms Farm uh, out near Saint Anne's. Um, they're, they're, they're truly passionate about what they do. Um, they meticulously pick all the flowers by hand. Their lettuces are cut by scissor on their hands and knees. It's, it's, and it's amazing. Uh, deliver every week. You know, and they're, they're family-based. So mm -hmm. Their values are important to us as well. Right. Um, you know, whether it be proteins, fish from up north. Um, you know, we really like the, the locality of it. And, and you know, it's, it reduces the carbon footprint as well as, you know, the product that 
from literally from the ground to your restaurant in under 24 hours, I mean, it's that much better than, say, something that came, you know, we have to sometimes rely on the big box produced stuff from California, Mexico. You have no choice sometimes. Got to do what you got to do. Do what we have to do. Exactly. Um, But it's nice to actually have that that high end local product and, and really kind of make that connection. And it's not just about paying for a box. It's about knowing them. And, you know, they come in and it's, it's great. It's like Paul and Arda from Harms Farm, they come in and, you know, they're chilling and be with them. They, they look salt to the earth. They're covered in dirt and they, you know, they, they come in and they're just ex- excited to, to be out and seeing. Yeah, which is um, nice. And it's great to see it. Mm-hmm. We love it. It's killer. Uh, let's talk about this event, right? The Peg City Chef's Collaborative Dinner. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about why you guys think the time is right for an event like this. I honestly think the time should be like a few years back. Mm-hmm. It just see a lot of people right now doing collaboration dinner. Mm-hmm. What makes us a little bit different is we basically similar, but the basic concept is we don't select people. We make people select themselves. So if you if you have the passion, if you think you're good, give us a call. Mm-hmm. You know, of course we're not going to put you out and sell tickets, <laughs> but everybody, you know, there is there is like it's open for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't judge who you are. You know, like right now in Winnipeg, you see the fellow win that uh, master chef he's home cook right mm-hmm. same thing we learned uh, like Tim from culinary work for big company everything I told you I just pick up the job and mm-hmm. then away you went that's how I do it but I love it I love it to the point I would think I leave, eat, sleep with it. It's not enough. And I'm pretty sure there's tons of people out there doing that too. But, you know, we can learn from them. Who knows? It's the same thing that people always say. It sounds kind of cheesy, but, you know, like-minded people are attracted to each other, right? Like birds of a feather. So it's it's not really um, judging anybody. The, The people that are like you will be drawn to you and will eventually join you, right? Right. It's not like a tryout. It'll just, it just happens organically. But there's one other thing is while we're creating the, the, the first menu ever, we throw in one dish out of that multiple dish dinner. Mm-hmm. That one dish has to be warm and home and remember family. Mm-hmm. So anybody comes... They might give me a recipe of their great-great-grandmother and beat anybody in, like any any top chef, whatever. And that's, that's like, that's learning. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something that, like, you can never, you can never found, you know? Mm-hmm. Recipe is, a lot of people is from great-great-great-grandmother, passed along. But nowadays, a lot of kids don't even cook. Mm-hmm. So they've been disappeared. Right. 
But one guy might say, oh, I don't cope, but my grandma keep making that for me, and that's the only thing I know. Mm -hmm. You know, that could be another world. You know, maybe one day, we within a week, we have 50 people calling and say, I have a recipe, I have a recipe. <laughs> then we'll make a dinner that way, right? Yes. Great idea. You know, that's, that's the whole idea of this collaboration. Right. It's just pick city chef. Right. Right? That's right. So anybody can cook something, could be a big chef. You, me, my son could be a chef for his wife, his daughter, his family. As long as people love his food, he's the chef. Back with more from Chef Ed Lam and Chef Tim Palmer to talk more about their upcoming Peg City Chef's Collective Dinner at the VG Restaurant on June 9th after the break. Okay, so what can people expect from, from this dinner? You guys are two different styles, right? So what can they expect from you as individuals? What can they expect from you as individuals collaborating together on certain dishes? I think... This dinner will change some of the people's mind about how corporate chef cooking. That is honestly I I, I know Tim, so I know how he cooks. And in a lot of people's mind thinking, you know, corporate chef, you know, it's all I don't know how to say, it, but this will make them understand. He is no different compared to every restaurant up there. Mm-hmm. You know, is the is the idea like the the typical idea of a corporate chef like cooking mainstream things like n- not adventurous? Is that is that what you is that what you're saying? Not really, not adventure. It's just like I don't know. It won't hurt. I mean, uh, yeah. the, you know, the 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 stigma, I guess, of like a I guess a corporate hotel chef is that it's all served out of hot buffet tables mm-hmm. and yeah. it's all pre-cooked and, uh, you know, it's... Food it, in a bag. You know, I bought gotcha, in okay. and, yeah. you know, you, really trying to change that that sort of, I don't know. Well, it's, it's, not, it's not like that at all. It's not like that at all, no, obviously. No. Not at all. No, no, no. And, you know, it, and it's it's just the perception of people. Right. Um, you know, even cooks see it as a hotel as you've kind of gone off to pasture and... It's like the first oh, step is, of retirement. Is it really? Yeah. They think it's the, um, no. the, the, it's the, end the corporate part, life. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're on your, your da- the downward yeah. swing. But right. in actuality, I mean, it's the, the hotel means, and, and the corporate chef, I mean, you have a lot of uh, opportunity that maybe you might not so much in a private uh, restaurant by that being as we do large banquets, up to 800 people. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we also have, you know, we have the room right next to the rooms attached also with the restaurant. So there's, um, you know, so many different facets of that business. Um, you know, running a private restaurant, it's, you know, it's it's tricky, it's difficult, it's it's uh, stressful, it's it's hard work uh, as well. But uh, it's, it's and it's, everybody has their own, own struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have the, uh, the opportunity to, to hopefully change people's perception of the way uh, they view a hotel or chef. Um, with an event like this, you mean? With an event like this that we're working on. Mm-hmm, uh, gotcha. that, you know, we are passion driven. And maybe it is an, a, a change in a change in the guard. You know, we, we love food and, you know, we really want to bring that out uh, in the city and, mm-hmm. and show everybody. And, you know, like let everybody kind of change their perception. You know, um, our restaurant that we have, it's called the VG in the lounge is the VGL or the VG Lounge. Mm-hmm. Um, you say that to 
80% of the people in the city and they're like, yeah, I remember going there 20 years ago. And then they're like, yeah, it was cool back then too. But why don't you come anymore? Right. You know, and it's, and it's you know, it's not the fault of, of anybody. It's just, there's some really hot, cool restaurants in mm-hmm. the city, um, you know, like Yajiro and, and people are attracted to it. I'm attracted to it. I love, I, I love going out and experiencing it and it's, it, it is really neat. Um, we have a different, uh, you know, we have the older room, we have, mm-hmm. a, you know, the white tablecloths, um, but what we're producing in the food that we're, our food program and the concepts that we're, we're working on, it is in line with the same kind of direction, which, uh, a lot of the chefs are doing in the city, mm-hmm. not mimicking or copying, but we're in line with the same kind of passion driven food mm-hmm. and doing things based on flavors and, and sourcing unique high quality products right right the food speaks for itself yeah um speaking of the food and the menu and stuff um maybe we can talk a little bit about the menu that you guys are going to produce that night well we will only tell you what we're going to have like (laughs) meat wise Mm -hmm. we will have lobster duck foie gras Bison. It's an awesome goat, uh, a goat rack from. Uh, yeah. That's a lot of different meat yeah. in, <laughs> right in one city. So how many, how many courses again? Eight course. Eight course meal. Yeah. Wow. With four others yeah. pass around and the option of wine, wine or what do you call that? Like a beverage pairing. Yeah. Like you could, there would be like wine, cocktail, even local beer. Yep. But this this whole dinner, I would say close to 90% is all local. Yep. Uh, which I which I honestly shamefully say like Yujuo is not so much about local mm-hmm. because uh we are sushi. Right. So we don't have an ocean. So <laughs> I, have, I have to source it out. But amazing for a hotel chain like this big mm-hmm. with that big of a capacity and they are really target of local produce. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And yeah, it's 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 awesome as a way that to prove how good its local product is and how much they can support to help local to get bigger, mm-hmm. get better and get the name out. Right. Well the only way you can do it is by getting the food in people's mouths. Yeah. Right? yeah. Showing them how it actually can be prepared and then yeah. kind of showing them that a lot of times, like I said, the food speaks for itself. It really doesn't take much to make it taste good if you're choosing the right products, getting them from the right exactly. place. Exactly. Right? And then and then it, it already showed that, you know, hotel is not cooked from the bag. You pride yourself on using the best product as well. For yes. Sure. Yes. I'm really yeah, I'm really proud of that that uh me and my team has been really dedicated to works extremely hard to get fresh products mm-hmm. because it take a lot of work. Like seriously, you can buy salmon already fillet, all you have to do is just cut off the bag and slice it and send it out. And so buy the fish, you freeze it, you defrost it. Well, because salmon, you have to freeze them. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, fillet it, the whole nine. That place is packed. All the time. It's packed. Oh. 
Right. Nice. Like I'm, it's I just remember I brought my wife and my yeah. daughter there and it's just not, a small place, that's why. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's one or two people just yeah, hanging out. Uh, yeah. And the food is awesome. <laughs> um okay, so let's give some basic information about where the event is, what date it's on, <clears throat> pardon me, what time it runs, you know, how people get tickets, that kind of thing. All right, so uh, you can get uh, tickets. You can uh, buy them on online at eventbrite.com. Uh, look for Peg City Chefs Collaborative. Uh, the event's on June 9th. Uh, we're doing two seatings. Um, first seating at 5 o'clock, 5.30, 5.30, and the second seating at 8.30. Oh, nice. Um, so, uh, yeah. Do you think this is going to be a good reintroduction to a lot of people to Fiji again? I hope so. You know, it's... It, it, let people know that it's again it's not just the restaurant for grandma and grandpa mm-hmm. um or mom and dad uh, it's a, you know it's a good opportunity to get out and experience something you know you don't have to come every week um but we do we're, we've been doing a lot of great uh, you know initiatives to uh, work on the the food concept of of our food program um you know backdoor burgers uh we're doing uh, backdoor tacos uh between the you know the hotel and the Richardson building, um, again being involved in. What do you mean backdoor tacos? What do you mean? What a backdoor tacos? So every <laughs> every uh, Tuesday we do backdoor tacos, which is uh, again a, a seasonally inspired, uh, locally sourced uh, taco. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's it's a little bit less expensive than what you'd normally uh, find in in restaurants, and it's fun. It's uh, kind of our way of doing a food truck without having to buy a truck. Mm-hmm. And oh, so you do it outside between the buildings? Between the buildings, yeah, like out, literally out the back door. Yeah. Cool. And then so Backdoor Burgers as well, the great... Uh, How long has that been going on? Uh, we've been doing it uh, almost better part of five years. Dude, uh, I've never even heard of that. you got to come check it out. I do. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Today we did the Happy Grill More, mm-hmm. uh, which is a wicked <laughs> burger. Um, Man, I love a good burger. <laughs> like, I probably love them a little bit too much, but whatever. Right? Well, that's an awesome idea. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's uh, it's it's. I mean, it's a, it's a great way to you, know, you get outside during lunch hour. Yep. And today was gorgeous, so it's it's perfect to sit outside, enjoy a gourmet burger, and and enjoy the beautiful Winnipeg uh, summer. It's killer. Thanks for coming, you guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's the Peg City Chefs Collective with Chef Ed Lamb and Tim Palmer at the VG Restaurant at the Fairmont Hotel. On June 9th, and tickets on sale at Eventbrite, and it's eight courses you don't want to miss. Full interviews on the Main Ingredient Podcast, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to 680 CJOB. This is 680 CJOB.